Morning, church family. Um, We're looking at uh, the passage in Genesis this morning, and uh, we're talking about the power of names. Recently, in our media, particularly around the loss of an HRH, names are important, aren't they? Because they sort of describe... Uh, And we're going to be looking at that in more detail this morning. Um, Just an open question. Do you know the meaning of your name? Yep. Okay. So I can remember when Julie and I were starting on Married Life together. And uh, four years into marriage, we were preparing for the birth of our first child. Uh, We went into that experience not wanting to know uh, the sex of the child. Uh, I think it's more difficult to do that these days. Images are sharper, and there seems to be a desire to, uh, to know before the event. But we chose to keep, it, uh, to keep ourselves in ignorance. So we sort of had a boy's and a girl's name. Uh, our son uh, was born to us, Matthew. Uh, we chose that because it means a gift from God. And that was the way that we felt. Megan came along two and a half years later... And uh, we loved the name Megan. Julie has some Welsh heritage. Um, It's the Welsh sort of uh, equivalent to Megan. And that also has a line into Mary. And that means pearl. And that's the way that we looked at our daughter, Megan. She was a pearl of great price. And then Sarah came along three years later. And Sarah, as we will touch on in today's account, means princess. And uh, she isn't a little princess in the, in the way that some of us may interpret that. But she is a beautiful woman of God. And we praise God for helping us choose a name that sort of describes the way that we felt and the way that they are. I did look for pads. <laughs> And I, I could only come across the lexicon version of pad. So I assume this is like the version on steroids. Do you know what the meaning of pads is? Anyway, we won't go there. But it, what it said was a thick piece of soft material <laughs> typically used to protect or shape something or to absorb. I thought that was really relevant for a minister of the gospel, how he protects how he shapes, and how he absorbs all of our rubbish. So praise God for pads. Anyway, you can tell us the real meaning later, pads. Before we go any further, let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living, that it is God-breathed. And we pray that as we look into it today, that it may be used to shape us more like you. Father God, we, we praise you and thank you for your love. And as we move through uh, the next 20 minutes or so, we pray that in looking into your word, you will help that to shape our response to love you more and to live for you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great. 
So I realised when I'm uh, using the screen that I do need my glasses because <laughs> I can't read what I've written otherwise. So we're, we're, in, um, we're in Genesis and just before we get into today's passage, I thought it'd be useful just to reflect on the take-home messages that Pads left us with last week as we go sequentially through these early chapters of the Bible. Uh, the first one was focus on motives that are pure. And that really illustrated uh, Sarah, uh, S-A-R-A-I, her desire to give Abram a child and sort of schemed through the maidservant Hagar. And we'll touch on that a little later. Focus on motives that are pure. Wouldn't the church be a better place if all our motives are pure? Wouldn't the world be a better place? Let that be a challenge to us all, church family. Wait for God's timing. It is always perfect. We go into that again deeper today, understanding that Ishmael was born to Abraham and Hagar, but already there had been a promise given to Abraham by God that his descendants would be many. And this is our approach often in life that we think we need to help God when God has a plan and his plan is perfect and his timing is perfect. So if you have something that you still are wondering when it will happen, take heart from God's word today. God's timing is perfect. And the daily challenge is living by God's word Those were the take-home messages last week. I hope that they've enriched your experience of life this week. That's how we need to use God's word. So why read the Old Testament? It seems an obvious question. Thanks to Professor Dolphin's excellent Bible class. I'm sure we all took something away from that today. Why read the Old Testament? Well, in the Old Testament, we see God's plan for us in relationship with him and how that starts in a right place in Eden and how man and women's choice to ignore God in the conditions of that relationship really gave birth to all of the rubbish that we experience in day-to-day life, the wrongdoing that we see in the world. We also read the Old Testament because it also paints a very clear picture that God is a God of second chances. That's amazing, isn't it? God is a God of second chances. So in the Old Testament, and we start to touch on it today in Genesis, uh, God's restoration plan is there for us and the promise of a new relationship with him. But perhaps the greatest reason for reading the Old Testament is that it points to the ultimate solution, Jesus. And the amount of times that we see prophetic messages coming through the different books of the Old Testament to Jesus being the only way to eternal happiness and hope, that is a significant reason why we should really appreciate the Old Testament. So, Never mind the power of names, what about the power of God's plan? So here we have a 99-year-old guy, Abraham. This isn't Abraham, I've just taken a picture of a real 99-year-old man because it's pretty impressive, isn't it? 99. 
And God had a plan. In this passage, God says, I will, 11 times. He probably says it 11 times because we need to hear it 11 times. And it comes back to that principle of his perfect timing and the assurance that we often need that God, when he says he will do something, he will do something. I will 11 times. And Abraham, the 99-year-old guy, was described as a friend of God. And he really was Father Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation and uh, the father of Old Testament faith and relationship in God. And we see that clearly uh, all the way through Scripture. Does anybody know how many times Abraham is mentioned in the New Testament, for, for example? Somebody have a guess. 11? Good start. Anybody else? 25. 25. Higher. He has. So, Steve, that's sort of a, a part answer. Are you going to nail a number to the mast? So this is where we can be playful. Who's going to go higher? 35? Double 35, add 6. 76 times in the New Testament, the word Abraham, with reference to his part in God's perfect timing, is referenced. That is incredible, isn't it? Anyway, we've got the 99-year-old man. And then we have the 90-year-old woman, Sarai. S-A-R-A-I, who has already panicked that they're so old that the promise God gave to Abraham could never really be fulfilled. It was implausible. So she schemed to have Abraham sleep with Hagar. Ishmael was born. God gives a heart desire, doesn't he, which is miraculous. Their heart's desire was to have a child of their own. In Genesis 18, the next chapter, she laughed unbelieving when uh, she was told she was going to bear a child. Then in Genesis 21, she laughed with joy when Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah. Isaac meaning laughter. And we start to see God unfolding his plan here. And often uh, the description of Ishmael versus Isaac and has been interpreted by Bible commentators is Ishmael is, is like the, the, um, the flesh, the firstborn. Um, and what it means by that is that that is something that it has been man-made. Isaac, through the miraculous work of God allowing Abraham and Sarah to have a child is seen as a new birth, God's We're not going to go into that any, in any further detail, but it's an interesting contrast. And we learned last week that Ishmael is directly linked to as a significant prophet to the religion of Islam and to large swathes of the Middle East, whereas Abraham is seen through his son Isaac as being the father of the Jewish nation, God's people. And then we have this principle that in God's plan, 
which was perfect in timing, his commitment was to a whole nation that was to be born. Key to God's love letter to us today is this story of how God established his covenant promise to Abraham. And so in illustrating the amount of times it's men- his name is mentioned in the New Testament, and in us focusing on this, it's, it's one of the miraculous things of God's word in the way that God sees history through its fullness. We often only see history in part, which is difficult for us. But as we start to go through this chapter, hopefully we'll see that ultimate plan of God coming and pointing to the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus. So let's think about our walk with God and the context here. The key here was Abraham's faithfulness to God. He was somebody who was identified as a man accredited for his righteousness. And uh, in the Bible uh, reference in this chapter, it talks about Abraham having to walk before God, the sense that he was always in God's constant gaze. Well, that's no different to us, is it? And the challenge is to us is that whilst others can't see us, God can see us. It was C.S. Lewis that talked about this principle of integrity. And he said, integrity is really doing the right thing even when nobody can see you. Such a powerful principle of what God's expectation is on our lives. And this sense that if we're in relationship with him, we're no longer living for ourselves, but our desire should be to live for him, to build his kingdom and to be his presence here on earth. Salt, light, to be smelly for him, the aroma of Christ. A letter, as though God has written a letter, a love letter to people, and that is realized through us. That's the challenge to us, isn't it, St. Matt's church family? How do we do that more and more? And Abraham was seen to be this individual faithful to God. Key to his relationship with God was his single-heartedness, Without blame, he was sincere and wholly devoted to God. Those are challenges for us this morning. And what about us? In commentary in this chapter, Warren Weasby says this, the secret to walking with God is a personal worship of God. Like Abraham, we must fall in front of him and yield everything to him. Remember, he is El Shaddai. Who knows what El Shaddai means? We're going to touch on it in a bit. El Shaddai, one of the names of God in the Old Testament. Anybody? Okay, we'll come to it in a short while. So the power of names. God in this chapter, in this account, changes Abraham, Abraham's uh, and the interpretation of Abraham in the way that we described Matthew, Megan, Sarah, uh, was high father. He was seen to be the father um, to his family, in essence. And as he moved from Abraham to Abraham, 
the interpretation of that name is father of a multitude. And we see that in this chapter in Genesis 17. So God is starting to lay out this perfect plan for his people, the Jewish nation. And his wife's name from Sarai to, which meant my princess, to Sarah, mother of nations. And it's interesting, isn't it, that God in his grace you know, can still give Sarah that beautiful name, even though she has thought she knows better and needs to do God's work for him. How often can we be uh, reflecting on that, that we make choices because we think we can know better and do God's work for him? It was a subtle change re letters, but a really significant change in the emphasis. This was from the personal context to the nation or global context. Let's just pause on that for the minute. Outside of relationship with God, I live for Ian. In relationship with God, I am a Christian. Or as Paul says in Galatians, that, that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And when we move from the old life to the new life, from the flesh into this spiritual life, we no longer live for ourselves. And this is the challenge for us. It isn't subtle, it is significant. It's not about a few letters change, it's about a whole transformation in the way that we think, act, live, speak. And that's what God wants, for the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us as individuals and as church. So the name change is about the promises of God. And the Abrahamic covenant that we read about in this chapter that Kirsty uh, just went through is God's promise to Abraham, and it consisted of three parts. And this is interesting in itself, just to focus on this. It, it talked about the promised land. That's new hope, God's protection, and that was right through the Old Testament history, actually, the Abrahamic covenant and that covering as the people of Israel moved to this new hope, the promised land, and the protection over people like Joshua and David and the uh, kings uh, that were leading the people of Israel, that covenant rested over them. And then it was about the promise of descendants, new family. And that is miraculous. You know, we can feel unloved and uncared for, but as we come in re- into relationship with Jesus, we get a new family. You know, church should be a slice of life with all of its peculiarities and personalities, but this is our family. And the difference is that it's, it should no longer be shaped by the desires that we have but it should be shaped by God's love working in us and through us as we reach out to each other. That's why the New Testament talks us about the church's living stones. And then the third element is the promise of redemption and new relationship. And it was marked by a physical act, circumcision, I think this is one of the encouragements for women that at least in some parts of the Bible, blokes do get it worse than women. And circumcision was this physical sign 
and it was there as a symbol. It wasn't the mechanism by which you went into relationship with God. It simply described that you were in relationship with God. And in a sense, when we think about how that links into the New Testament, that talks about a circumcision of the heart, how God comes into our lives and takes all of that rubbish out of our lives and deals with it once and for all. That's why uh, when we talk about the, the death of Jesus and the references in the New Testament, that's why it describes sin is dealt with once and for all. And so the New Testament equivalent of circumcision is God cutting out all of that rubbish as though it never existed and replacing it with that robe of righteousness that Peter talks about. It's placed around our shoulders if we're in relationship with Jesus. And so there is a strong sense of similarity in the Abrahamic covenant into that expression and realization and experience we have in the New Testament uh, in relationship with God. So what about the names of God? These are some of the names of God. Al Shaddai simply means almighty God. And we can see when we think about what's happening in this story, a 99-year-old bloke, a 90-year-old woman, and God is opening what has been a barren womb to bring forth a child. That is not natural. Talk to Gwyn. It ain't natural. It is supernatural. And that's when God makes promises we know that they will be delivered because God cannot lie. It says that in the Old Testament. So Almighty God is mentioned once here, and it is the first mention of that name of God in this chapter, and then it's used another 48 times through the Old Testament. And you know, today there's a challenge here, isn't the church family? Sometimes we can limit God in our experience. If there's one thing you take out of the door today, take El Shaddai with you. Almighty God, who can make things happen that we could never think or believe, because he is the creator God. So from one miraculous birth to another, uh, Isaac was the second baby in the Bible who was named and given a name before his birth. Ishmael was the first. So chapter 16 and 17. Uh, And that's the contrast we've already alluded to. The man-made birth, in in essence, of Ishmael and the God-made birth of Isaac and how that comes across as flesh and God's plan. And then the second birth, Jesus. Or as the Old, Old Testament signposted, God with us. And here is the, gene, uh, the genealogy of Jesus. So if you're wondering about why I've talked about Jesus a lot, okay, um, that's because we see Abraham up here. And if we move through history, we arrive at Joseph here. And if we move through history via Nathan, we arrive at Joseph here, the husband of Mary and the adoptive father of Jesus Joseph here, the grandfather of Mary, Mary and Jesus. So we see how God's plan all the way through the Old Testament is pointing to the ultimate provision of relationship with God. 
And the reason why we can have a personal relationship with God is because of God's plan working through people like Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. So if we think about Jesus, and if we think about the promise of God through his name, Joshua or Yeshua or Yahshua, Yah is short for Yahweh, Shua is from Yeshua, which means to save, save alive, or to rescue. Jesus derived from Joshua means Yah saves. In other words, the translation that we can read from that this morning is Jesus is an expression as a name that God saves, God rescues. And that is good news, isn't it? That's why we should be following that song and allowing God's work to work through us to those around us because God has saved and rescued us for eternity. And that's described in Matthew 1, 21. She'll give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And in Matthew 12, 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. You see, when God makes a plan, it is perfect. Isaiah, writing 700 years before the birth of Christ, is able to point to the Messiah. In the same way as God spoke to Abraham and said that there would be many descendants coming from him when he was still childless and old, and it looked as though it wasn't possible, God's plan was perfect through him. And in Hebrews 6, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one great of him to swear by, he swore by himself. And then later on, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath, the covenant. And then later we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, which is firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary, God's very presence behind the curtain that was torn from top to bottom through the work of Jesus, where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. And in Hebrews, it describes Jesus's ministry today as a ministry of the high priest, presenting our requests and our needs to God the Father. That is the wonder of the opportunity to be in relationship with God this morning. So there is more to a name, and this passage helps us to understand there's an eternal plan that is happening here as we read and learn from this. And that plan is to save his people and to bring us back into relationship with himself. So there's an obvious question to finish on. If you're not in relationship with God, is he calling you today? Is he allowing you to see for the first time that you are loved by him unconditionally this morning? And in history, his plan has always been to bring people back into relationship with him. So whatever's stopping you from being in relationship with him today, why not pray that that would be broken down. And the prayer ministry team uh, would love to be able to pray with you uh, in seeking that. And then finally, let's worship El Shaddai 
and recognize that God Almighty has a call on our lives. And that's what really, that's what should make us different as we leave church today, understanding that we're under the power and the direction of an almighty God, El Shaddai, who can make the miraculous and the unbelievable happen and believable. Amen.